Hey there, this is Dan Delta Collins. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and also youtube.com slash wanderingdms. And now, we hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and on this uh, episode of Wandering DMs here, uh, we plan to have Mr. Tim Cask on, and unfortunately, um, it looks like uh, he won't be able to be uh, with us today, and we are personally uh, really heartbroken about that. Uh, we hope that uh, Tim is well at the moment, and we will. Um, uh, we were so excited for this show, Paul. I yeah, was. Yeah. I was so excited for the show. Um, and so uh, we'll be reaching out to, uh, to Tim and hopefully reschedule um at at his convenience so sorry about that we are we feel uh, uh saddened by by tim not being here with us um but um it's a live show so things happen and um we are uh we are we are back with you <laughs> oh, so... somebody's telling me that they're getting some echo from me i think that that should be fixed but please let me know if we're still hearing it okay yeah um are you hearing echo on my we... end from me dan I'm not. I don't hear that. Okay, great, great. Both of us. Echo from both of us. That's interesting. Um, hmm. great. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> um, why is there echo? <laughs> oh, so, okay, okay, I think we're good. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right, maybe you might need to refresh Stephen on your own. Um, uh, but yeah, we always want to look out for that. So I, I mean, I also had the, the doorbell ring <laughs> five <laughs> seconds before we went live here. So, so all kinds of complications happening all at once. Yes, um, yes. and, uh, that's the, the beauty of a live show here. <laughs> uh, I'm a little boomy. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, so what was our, uh, what was our backup plan? <laughs> what, what here? Are we gonna what talk I don't know. Wait, I didn't no, take I, any I should, notes okay, on well, it, Dan. What about you? <laughs> See what you did there. So, I mean, I should point out that you know, um, uh, you know, we had a big anniversary yesterday, right? So we we've act so our last show one week ago, we were talking about the fiftieth anniversary of the Chainmail game being published mm -hmm. um, within the month, either March or April of uh, nineteen seventy one, and then actually yesterday, uh, April seventeenth. Uh, was the 50th anniversary of Dave Arneson um, announcing, hey, I, some people should come over to my place on April 17th, and we're going to have a, a bronze-style uh, style, uh, game session, but it's going to have fantasy elements with, like, elves and dwarves and things like that. Um, so show up if you're interested in that. And that was the uh, start of Dave Arneson's Blackmore campaign and what is widely considered to be the first fantasy campaign. In fact, obviously, there's a book under that title that Dave published later on that. Yep. Um, so in some sense, yesterday uh, was the 50th anniversary of fantasy role-playing. So um, kind of interesting to observe that. And, of course, Isabel and I had a, had a game last night, which is kind of interesting. We got to play on that anniversary. Uh, don't forget that in January we had Griff Morgan, the director of the Secrets of Blackmore film, on, and I saw him on Twitter talking about, I spent the day meditating and reflecting on the importance of the 50th anniversary of Blackmore. So um, uh, so that's on many of our minds, certainly. Big date for that. So so are we here to talk about Blackmore? Is that that, that No, we're not. So no. we're not. Um, so we talked about that on, on a prior show, so of course not. Um, so Paul and I were digging through our uh, materials for other things that we have been excited to talk about, but frankly haven't had haven't found the time. As a matter of fact, yeah. So Paul, you were telling me something on your uh, Ten Dead Rats show, yeah. which of course occurs uh, Thursday nights right before Critical Role, um, that you had to do that that I was really surprised by. So you said this yeah. is something that you don't commonly do, and I was like, really, that's something I yeah. have to do every time I run a, I run a, a, an event. For folks uh, who are possibly not watching 10 Dead Rats, or, or I guess I should say for folks who are watching 10 Dead Rats, uh, uh, maybe slight spoilers here, uh, but but spoilers on uh, the material that the, that the game is based on, which is now some 30-odd years old. So 
not really spoilers. Um, so for those who aren't aware, uh, 10 Dead Rats is a Warhammer Fantasy and D&D mashup game run here on our channel Thursday nights at 8 o'clock. And the content is loosely based on the classic Warhammer campaign called The Enemy Within, uh, which has been printed and reprinted and reprinted over the years. Uh, it's just absolutely beloved by by fans of, of the system, and, the, and uh, I've always wanted to run it. Uh, I played in it uh, ages ago. So that's what I've been running, although with a very loose hand on the reins of sort of like prepared for my players to take that left turn and go off the rails and do something crazy and more than happy to adjust or tinker with the material as we see fit. The interesting thing is the players haven't done that a lot. There's a few things where they've gone off the rails and done introduced some odd elements to the game, but time and again they kind of return to the main threads of the plotline because it is so strong. And uh, right now they're about to enter Mindheim, and uh, the big, big city of Mindheim, where there's a little bit of political... Um, wrangling going on. Uh, so for anyone who knows the enemy within, that means that we are officially in the Power Behind the Throne section. That is the third book in the series. Um, and uh, uh, anyone who's run this or read this before may know that uh, Power Behind the Throne includes a huge number of NPCs. A lot of important NPCs in uh, Minheim. So much so that one of the um, one of the bits of material that comes in the back of the book are these little cards with uh, the name and goals and and yeah, there's a lot of them. There are a lot of NPCs in this section. So many that they're giving me you know flashcards on uh, trying to keep tabs of all these characters. Um, so I know anyone who uh, who's run this material before um, and has written about it uh, usually says that they had to. Um, take extensive notes on this section to keep everything straight because it gets very convoluted. Um, and so that's what I did. I sat down with the book, I read through it, and as I was reading it, I had a, a Google Doc open and I just started typing notes, um, my own personal notes, because in this era of, of material, and I, I'd say probably fairly frequent in any printed gaming material these days, is you end up with you know pages upon pages of prose which was is helpful for like understanding the material, but it's not a great table aid, right? It's not fantastic to have at the table as you're running the game because you're flipping through the book and trying to remember where was that one detail that's important about this one particular character. Let me find it. And it's really difficult. Um, so I found it useful for games, especially games that focus on such uh, intricate NPC relationships, to sit down and take my own abbreviated notes. And I've done this maybe twice now uh, in recent memory. I did it with this with Power Behind the Throne. And I did it with a, a Cthulhu game that I ran at a convention a few years back called Bryson Springs. Right. Um, and, and again, it was a similar thing of like, there are known locations and known characters and they have all these interactions. And and I like that kind of material because it's, it's very much tries to be open-ended, right? Presents, here are these characters with these motivations and how they'll interact with each other and interact with the players, but then leaving the door wide open for what's going to happen, who knows, and you need to kind of internalize and know these characters well so that you can, you know, play their reactions because who knows what the players are going to do. Interesting. Well, how big is that book? This book? Let's see. I saw the cover, but it's... It's about, about 100 pages. It's about 100 pages long. Okay. It's All right. your standard... Okay. I mean, the, the material for Enemy Within comes in a variety of sizes. Um, right. The previous section was a whole box set, Death on the Reich. Right. right, right. Two, two books and... Uh, I, yeah. You know, I don't think I have any adventures that are hardcovers. That actually, I'm actually uh -huh. kind of surprised uh, to see a hardcover adventure. It's but, uh, uh, quite the thing to have here. So it, uh, I kind of fumbled there on saying whether it was the second or the third or, or whatever. I say you might you might think of this as the fourth installment. Uh, the first installment is of course just the Enemy Within, which was actually originally a kind of a source book, more more just about the Empire in general, but had an adventure in the back that kind of kicks it off. I see. Uh, second I see. second one is Shadows over Bogenhofen. Now later printings of Shadows over Bogenhofen took the adventure from the first one and incorporated it in it, and this became the first book. So that becomes okay. confusing as to what book number you were on. <laughs> okay. These are the old older ones, and yeah, these are these are soft cover and come with maps and handouts okay. and etc. So I, th I think you're right. Like it does seem unusual to have it as a as a hardcover. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Interesting though. You're gonna watch out for that zero indexing. 
It's always it's always confusing <laughs> people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was kind of surprised when you said that that was like like oh I did this really unusual different thing to get ready for tentative rats. I had to, I had to read it and take notes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because that's certainly part of my standard um, adventure prep when I have a, a published adventure. And frankly, that's what I mostly tend to do most of the time actually is run classic adventures to see how they run hmm. um you know and then you get a certain you know there's a, there's a certain camp of people that say that's uh you know bad behavior on my part the essence of the essence of early role playing is to do your own stuff and the idea the very idea of adventure modules is a, is a antithetical to the whole the whole creative endeavor but um, but i like doing that and I, and I do find that i personally have to take notes um, anytime I do that. And the funny thing is when you first said that, I was like, well, I thought that I was taking notes to fill in the very sketchy early modules. So certainly, mm. you know, the very first official D&D module that get published by TSR, uh, Steading of the Hill Giant Chief, was, I believe it's eight pages. I think wow. the whole thing is eight pages. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and then of course it got longer from there. But those early, those early modules, they always say at the start, it's like, this is a skeleton is usually the words that Gygax would say. This is just a skeleton and you're going to have to add a whole lot of meat onto this in order for this to be a legitimate adventure. And so I was thinking that I was, that was a result of um, filling in, having to fill in a whole bunch of stuff huh. Interesting. extra. And you're telling me now that you're taking notes because the module's too big to parse yeah. and you need to cut it down to size. Well, that's, yeah. So I, w I was going to say, like, my my desire to take notes is often based on the style of the writing of the original material. So, for example, um, if we look at Michael Curtis's Stonehell, which is a giant, um, you know, mega dungeon, but it's written in the one-page dungeon style. So each page, each, oh. each room has got, like, a sentence or two. And I feel right. like that, like I can read that ahead of time and I don't need pages upon pages of notes because the material is so dense and well organized that I can just lift it off the page. And right. when I'm adding stuff, because yeah, of course in that style, you know, it's it's so minimalist that you do have to add stuff. But I, I see that as license to add stuff on the fly. That's when my improv skills start coming in. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree with that. I guess on the other hand, I will point out like it's, it's actually dawning on me that there's another another adventure that I can talk about having done a lot of note taking and prep work for, uh, which was actually Dyson's Delve, which is smaller and shorter and easier to digest. But there's so many levels and there are all these different groups that I found myself having trouble tracking their interactions and like which right. which groups are actually enemies, which ones are antagonistic to each other and which ones are friendly to each other. I'm not sure. And so actually, if you look on my blog, there's a whole section of um, notes that I took on the factions of Dyson's Delve. Now, on that point, if I recall, so correct me if I'm wrong, but if I recall correctly, you were saying that it's it's kind of unclear in Dyson's Delve, right? Again, which which to me would feel very old school of like here's a bunch of factions, but it, does it actually de does does the text actually detail their interactions, or is that something that you had to add to it? It it implies them in a very light way. Okay. In a very okay. light way, it implies them. So there's stuff like um, in the level where um, in the level where the the elementalist cult is. There's a section on like you know here are some of the troglodytes from lower levels, and they've come up with you know these bribes or gifts or something like that. But it's not sure why. It's not clear why what they're doing there. Like clearly, there's some kind of connection there. Um, right. And I think there was something else where there's like there's a where a random where rat encounter. In a, in a higher level, and it's just not clear why that were-rat's there, except that there is a whole sub-level of were-rat, so you're like, well, he must be connected to that way for some reason. And I remember definitely interpreting that myself, of being like, well, he's here to spy. He's actually here, you know, for nefarious reasons rather than, you know, friendly connections or whatever. But, but it took See, I analysis, feel that's very right? Old I had... school, right? Yeah. yeah. See, I feel that's very old school. Basically, here's some places, right? Here's some yep. things in some places. And it doesn't, um, you know, doesn't um, spend a lot of text describing exactly what the relationship is. And for me, I feel like, like you're just saying there, improvisationally adding that to me is always the easy part, right? The, the places and an interesting strategic encounter and an interesting combination of opponents or traps or tricks is for me the hard part. And I always found it very, you know, straightforward 
to take those old skeletons like that and have some kind of idea mm. and it and it wouldn't be the same as another dm but to spiral some kind of larger story out of that structure um and i always thought that the um you know the the, the detail work is hard the story work is going to kind of almost write itself is what what seemed to always occur in my in my experience um, I say, I'm, so, that I'm, feels, so that feels very old school to me of, of like, here's a skeleton and you're going to be filling in extra stuff hmm. to extrapolate that. Let me, let me, I'm going to, oh, geez, this is totally screwed up. Oh, dear. Um, uh, I was going to put up on screen here some of the stuff. Let's see. I can still do this. I can still do this, right? <laughs> this, this is what happens when, when we uh, uh, last minute change the topic, uh, struggling yeah. here to... Um, uh, Again, if you came in late, uh, Mr. Kask uh, couldn't couldn't join us today, okay. so we're hoping to reschedule him soon. Go. Got it, got it on. Okay, so this is there an image go. of that faction analysis I did, uh, yeah. where it's just each row is a level in Dyson's Delve, and I just kind of wrote down the major encounters. Uh, you know, not all of them, but but sort of like what kind of things are they going to encounter, and then I started colorizing them to sort of say like these could be related, right? Like clearly the goblins in the first two levels are related. There's a hobgoblin yeah. boss. He must there must yeah. be a, a, a group. Right, but then there's this other, this outcast goblin, and then there's a sub level three has got other stuff, and level four has got these other group of goblins, which maybe feel like they're different. So maybe that's a second faction of goblins. Right, right. You can see I started right. to tie some stuff together, and there's other stuff that less um, is unclear. There's some ogres in level eight, which just appear to be ogres, but then by the time you get down to level eleven, you find that the troglodytes have some ogre guards. So I start mentally tying those together and thinking, oh, that. Maybe all the ogres are in the employ of the troglodytes, but it's a lot of inference and stuff that I think like just it wouldn't come to me on at the moment as I'm sitting there. And and worse yet, I feel like if I'm going full improv at this point, that um, I might screw it up, right? That I might go one direction one moment and an hour later accidentally introduce something that completely <laughs> you know is completely the opposite of that and then go oh crap now now my game's inconsistent my players are just confused totally totally yeah i mean so and and that kind of that kind of interpolation work i wouldn't try to make structure like that on the fly and i agree when i when i when i try to do something like that i actually always fly too far in the weirdo direction weirdly when i'm preparing beforehand I kind of come up with frankly boring stuff and then in the game stuff tends to be like way weirder than and i always wind up regretting or being bewildered at myself um uh after what happens in game actually um i should point out so obviously uh, paul's prep work was for a game that we actually streamed and if you did, if you didn't know that we have and we had so much fun with uh, paul dming dyson's delve I see William there in the chat saying that's his current campaign as well. And so if you haven't seen it yet, uh, you should look for our Wandering DMs playlist on Wandering DMs Play Dyson's Delve. For quite a while, we were just calling it the birthday game, of course. Yeah, yeah. it was the first time we ever <laughs> then, streamed a game. So we, right. we, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. <laughs> and then a fairly short time back, I, it finally came into my head of like, we should tell people what the content is. <laughs> So let me let me let me tie this back quickly the the, the faction work I did in Dyson's Delve to what's in uh, Power Behind the Throne, which because I think that's interesting. So in Power Behind the Throne, of course, you have these lovely handouts of all the NPCs, and it actually has their schedule on it, so it tells you day by day where that NPC is going to be. Then there's also a chart of the major locations and which NPCs are there, so that you can cross reference and go, okay, well if this guy's going to be at this place on this day, I can go now and look at this chart and find out who else is there. Right, or if the players just happen to be in this location on this day, I can find out which of the major NPCs are going to be there. <clears throat> As well, we get an NPC chart, which is just the just the the, the minor details, like the, the highest level. Here's all of the NPCs and just like the you know the major points that you need to know. Yeah, all of this is great stuff. You should have this on hand. But the problem I still find is it's a lot to digest. And just reading it is not sufficient. I need to sit down and write my own notes, having read it myself, to cement these these things in my head, right? To, to be able to, to quickly pop in and out of these characters, especially with so many NPCs. One of the things I write down, honestly, that is not included in here for each NPC is some real-world person that I will try to uh, think of when I'm 
playing that character. Whether that's a friend or a famous actor or whatever, tie it to some real-world person so that I can at least have a consistent voice or mannerism when I'm role-playing that character. That's great. That's great. Now, admittedly, I don't you know, run those, you know, <clears throat> urban plot-heavy, um, you know, any, frankly, anytime I crack open an adventure and it's got like a calendar yeah or something yeah. Like, frankly a calendar like a calendar of events already puts me off right there and then if it's like broken down by time of day like location per time of day with a roster of npcs that's that tends to be an adventure that i'm probably not going to run frankly mm. um and certainly so it's a it's a that's a type of adventure that i probably wouldn't run inter Connecting, you know, I was, it was funny because I was just looking at uh, Justin Alexander's, uh, you know, Alexandrian blog um, earlier today, and he had a, uh, a 12 part series, or maybe it's a 15 part series on urban crawls, right? And that's the kind of thing that he's trying to get a grip on of large number of personalities and characters with different information, competing interests being explored in this informational network, so to speak. And uh, for me, that would be like that might be too more more of a burden than I want to take up. I, I and that's one of the strengths, right, of the classic dungeon design, is it's it's pretty close to discrete locations. And I certainly like for me, I find it the easiest when an you know an encounter location is basically just one paragraph. And I can kind of visually scan it on the fly. Yeah. And, you know, when, when we were running um, Rappanathic, which is, no, I can't remember. We didn't stream that, did we? No, we didn't. <laughs> we did not. No, that, that's something that we just played. Uh, when we're running Rappanathic, which is, again, a huge mega dungeon, and you had characters at a particular level, and I'm like, okay, I prepped levels one through four. Mm-hmm. And the adventure is, I don't know, 250 pages or something like that. I prepped levels one through four. And you guys completely <laughs> ignored the horrible warning, uh, completely bypassed those levels and went like pretty much straight to the ninth level. And on the fly, so you're, you know, you guys are like, which we go left or right? And meanwhile, I'm frantically yeah. looking at the next kind of encounter area, trying to pick up what's happening. And it was basically successful, right? Yep. It wasn't, it wasn't a complete disaster. And I managed to do that because of the discrete nature of if. If push comes to shove, I could just look at one single area at a time. And um, uh, I guess that was kind of my lesson from Rappanathic. So obviously with the with the adventure you're talking about, there's no way I could have possibly done a thing like that. Not not with Power Behind the Throne, for sure. Right. And it's definitely, it stands out in the series of The Enemy Within of being the most like this. Right, there okay. are certainly elements in some of the other ones, like um, um, something around in Bogenhofen, um, where, um, <clears throat> where it's... Uh, yeah, there's definitely NPCs and interesting things and timelines and et cetera, but it's not it's not the complexity of power behind the throne. Right. And then you have so that kind of you have other stuff, um uh, the Death on the Reich, which is comes between those two, where the entire second half of that book is just uh, a castle. And all the locations and all the characters in that castle. So it becomes very kind of gotcha. classic, classic crawl at that point. Gotcha. Um so, so I'm curious, Dan. So I, I, I've gone over like sort of the kinds of things I tend to take notes for, right? So I'm right. usually when when you know factions or individual NPCs and their motivations becomes overly complicated, and I need to organize them. That's that's where I'm starting to write notes. Where are you writing notes? What kind of notes? Do you um, yeah, the you know that that's evolved for me over time. Um, so maybe if you wanted to pull something up, you could pull up the uh, the the A. You were you were just talking about yeah. getting the A modules at one point for the show. So I think that was on my mind, and I dug up um, uh, prep that I was doing for the um, uh, the the uh, sewers of the Undercity. What the heck is that first A module? A one, I would call. It. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying uh, to look at uh, what you've really, handed me here. That is not it. Is, is, is this one no. of the spreadsheets, Dan? Is that what I'm trying to pull yes, up here? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, I'm going to pick uh, randomly because they just look like spreadsheets to me. So hopefully, this is the right one. Is this the right one? Slave pits. That's it. It is slave pits of the Undercity. Right. So I. So now, thank you. Um, uh, so um, uh, nowadays, I always do something like this. Mm-hmm. So I make a one-page summary um, of the encounter areas that I'm looking at mm-hmm. so that I have an idea of where the largest danger areas are and things are coming from. So you can see I have a spreadsheet 
of one line per encounter area. And you know what? When I'm when I'm designing dungeons, actually, I go through the same thing as a first step. Actually, as a matter of fact, I do this first, then I write text for it later. And so I've got area, I've got name. I guess once upon a time I had like some descriptive stuff in it, but I that, I felt like it didn't um, fit there. Uh, what trap? What monster? And then you can see I'm crunching numbers as far as risk level goes. So I have my EHD equivalent hit dice. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, measurement, uh, which takes into account risk. And of course, that's all basically spit out by a computer program that I have um, in order to have my eye on what the what the biggest risk level is and whether the character group that's coming through is, you know, is um, has a chance of success, broadly speaking. There, And I know that people, you know, some people really hate so-called challenge ratings. And admittedly, this is sort of trying to do the same thing. Um, and so I, so I usually have this as my prep work as just kind of the thing to glance at at the start. So I know what the whole, the whole adventure is like. Now, of course, this was originally a tournament module, right? And a lot of the stuff that I run are originally classic tournament modules. And in some sense, I kind of want to get it right. Um, so I'm doing this partly to gauge whether the character levels and the character party size is correct. Occasionally, I'm a little skeptical of that. Uh, a lot of these modules have the branding of first edition AD&D, right? Mm-hmm. And again, I'm running what I call original D&D mm-hmm. with some modifications. And so I want to make sure that something doesn't get bungled in that little bit of a transition. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm literally crunching numbers here on, on threat levels and things like that. So are you using this? So I get that you're... So, so it sounds like... You know, you're doing this ahead of time as you're preparing the module uh, to an, yeah. do some analysis on it. Make sure that the the pre-gen characters you're going to supply are are correct. Right. Is do you have this then on hand when you're running the game? I'm probably not literally looking at it while I'm running the game. I try. So, um, you know, once upon it, one of the things that I've evolved away from is I used to have a bunch of reference sheets, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. maybe I would put you know notes on the adventure, and maybe I'd put them in my DM screen. And I have gotten more dogmatic about um, the pragmatic programmer principle of don't repeat yourself. Hmm. The, the, the key information should be in one place. It shouldn't be some NPC stuff in the text and then a reference table to back the book. It shouldn't hmm. be, you know, like, like the, the flashcards that you have for those NPCs, I get the attractiveness of it. They're real nice. But on the other hand, I would start to suspect that you know maybe maybe someone made a typo and there's a contradiction between the sheets and the text or i'm going to momentarily uh not make up my mind about which one that i want to look at so i try to run with just a, a single text now yeah um maybe an annotated version of the original module text for me hmm. Hmm. yeah yeah, oh, certainly, like, like writing notes within the marginalia of the... Right. I do that uh, plenty, and certainly, uh, like, especially with um, lighter stuff, actually, with, like, um, um, what am I thinking? Like, one-page dungeon stuff, often I'm, I'm, right. I'm writing into the into the margins uh, as I go. Usually, I almost wonder if that's sort of, like, note-taking on the fly, right? Those, those notes might appear while we're playing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I probably make more, mm, I, I guess at least, okay, see, then we have the, the, the traditional bifurcation of are you running a one-off convention type thing or are you yep. running a deep, long-running campaign thing? Yep. So at least on my tournament stuff, it, there tends to be way more notes in advance. And then with my campaign stuff, it winds up having more stuff after after a play session. You know, here's a, uh, <clears throat> okay, so as long as we're talking about campaign versus, versus uh, tournament. Uh, so here's something that came up um Campaign-wise, for Ten Dead Rats, which is I have, which I have it right here on me. I have my Ten Dead Rats binder, and during an individual session, I write some quick bullets of what happened each session. Quick, just just yeah. five or six bullets Great. of major things that happened during that session. Uh, now, the original purpose for that was at the very beginning of the show. I recap what happened last episode, so that's those are my notes for the recap. Ah, uh, gotcha. But gotcha. this has actually been really useful to have this set of notes of like. Uh, every episode here's just a couple quick um you know a couple quick bullets of what happened so i can remember 
uh, as I'm yeah. planning in the future. Um, you know, it's funny because especially for a streamed show, there's this temptation of like, well, it's all saved. I, I could just go onto YouTube and just go rewatch. I'm not going to rewatch hours of us playing right. the game to try and remember right. some detail about right. what happens in right. this particular episode. Right. So having right. those quick bullets has been incredibly helpful. Right. It's interesting because I have had like for some reason i have trouble getting things down to five bullet points like i would <laughs> say i'm going to do that and i would have an enormous amount of trouble um once upon a time on my blog actually i would go here's a quick write-up and then it would always <clears throat> turn into a 25 paragraph essay <laughs> if you look at my blog like I don't know, about two two or three years ago um so here's my um campaign uh, binder for what it's worth um and what i that what i you know it's, what i did manage to do for notes is actually just one line so I, nice. I got to a point where after a session, I would literally, and the thing I was mostly tracking is what calendar date are you on? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I know I just badmouthed calendars a while back, but again, this is not things that are going <laughs> to happen in advance. These are things that happened in the past. Yep. Um, and so I have a, uh, uh, what calendar date we currently are, because a meaningful campaign cannot be held without <laughs> if not strict time records are not kept. <laughs> It wasn't all uppercase. That quote, from, yeah. that quote is all in all uppercase from the uh, first edition DM's guide. If, if uh, you don't get the inside reference, and then maybe one little note about like where they where they left off. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, and so that's what I had. That's what I had for my post notes that I interesting. Did, wasn't taking a million hours on at least. Um, you know, the um, other thing I keep uh, for campaign play again. This is, I think is important for campaign play, not so much for tournament play. Is um, uh, an NPC list. Uh, and specifically, not an NPC list of NPCs I've pre-invented, but NPCs I had to invent on the fly. Because oh, I want to okay. remember their names later when the players go, Hey, okay. remember that random priest we met on the street of the city? Let's go look him up. What was his name? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I made him up on the spot, man. <laughs> <laughs> Expect me to remember his name? Jeez. <laughs> I mean, now someone would say, so, someone could possibly say, well, m- literally make that the responsibility of the players. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. if they, if they didn't, if they don't remember or know the name, well, then they can't find him. <laughs> 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 right? You're going to tell me. Um, I have, I do have, and a lot of this stuff is programmatic. Um, I have uh, a list of NPCs possibly for hire. If you go mm-hmm. looking for uh, hirelings or stuff like that. And that yep. was just a spit out of a, of a computer program that I have basically. And, uh, you know, just random personalities, right? So it doesn't have any statistics behind them, just like yep. some names and things that people might be like. <laughs> actually, even now for that, I have, I, I usually generate that random on the fly actually. Um, so I try to have, I actually try to have less notes as much as I can. Um, here's here's a here's another another gem from Ten Dead Rats. I will keep a page of names with a lot of white space around them, and when I need a name for some random person, I put a big square around it and I write in some details about who that person is. So, for example, uh, Lambert Pfeiffer here is squared off and says he's a lawyer in Bogenhofen, apparently. So just so I can have both my random name generator for, like, have no other detail about the character and, like, oh, they needed some, I guess they met some lawyer in Bogenhof and he needs a name. Here it is. It's funny because I um, I tried that at one point and actually just just the, the, um, the overhead of finding that page in my notes was too much. <laughs> right? So, frankly, I yeah. just showed you this list of personalities yeah. and I actually don't use it anymore because just... Flipping to the page was too much of a delay. Yeah. So what I have now is, geez, I probably shouldn't even show this because it totally, sorry, it totally uh, shows the backstage. So here's so here's my DM screen. Yep. Yep. With art by BJ Johnson there, and so I I have the most recent thing is where is that? Uh oh, geez, this is not the version that has it. I guess I must have run a tournament that I don't have it in there. Um, but I have a, I have a, a fairly small table of really common first names and uh, some and personality traits basically. And so nowadays I generally roll uh, personalities on the fly. And the funny thing is, even though the table is only four by twelve, I don't think my players have ever noticed repetitions to date, hmm. which actually sort of surprises me because I thought at some point I was going to have to expand that table. But even just even just twelve. Uh, male and 12 female names and the players have not caught on to the fact that sometimes they get repeated 
That's great. And the funny thing, and, and the funny thing is, I actually I'm gonna sow in the weeds here, but I actually formed the list by taking a medieval list of German names and picking off the top most common twelve, right? So there's, you know, it's what I wish I had in front of me right here. So it's like Peter and Edmund and Margaret and something else slightly medievalized. And so they are common enough that there's going to be a couple Peters running around or something like that. Right. And so nobody's nobody's had uh, had a problem with with that happening or noticed it. And the other thing is, like, like you don't even need last names. I mean, you know, people. A lot of people didn't have last names at that point. So, so I just have first names. And if if I need a last name, maybe I'll throw in, you know, what they what they're doing in their occupation or something like that. So that's me attempting to attempting to minimize my notes because at some point finding them became a problem. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I'm definitely like the, the little trick I was just showing of the, the the page of names with a lot of white space. It's nice for on the fly. Of figuring stuff out and then having a record, but it's something that I then want to later transcribe to a different format um, because it quickly becomes a mess. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. You know, it's interesting. I have a blog, so I have a blog uh, that's going to be posted tomorrow morning on Monday, actually, and this was the one that our patrons uh, chose last month uh, when we gave them a couple options, and it's the it's the one on what I do for uh, rumors. Mm. And information and legends, because there's a little rule that most everybody's forgotten buried in original D&D. But you want rumors or legends or information or news, you got to go to the tavern, you got to pay for it. And I, I, I just really adore that rule, and I've made it an, an important part of my campaign. And the evolution that I've gone through with that was to get rid of notes. Is mm-hmm. initially part of part of the, the blog there tomorrow says initially I had a list of pre-written rumors. Like a lot of, you know, early D&D adventures have actually. And as I use them across the, the just in just a couple of weeks of campaign play, they'd get used up. And what do I do about the use ups? Do I start repeating them? Well, that's not super fun. Now I'm crossing them out. Now I now I have a whole bunch of blank spaces. Now I have to fill them in again. And I have a completely insane, you know, more and more mangled list of rumors getting chopped up and refilled and chopped up and refilled. And at some point I came up with a way of just like discard the whole thing. Here's some dice with some parameters, improvise the rumors on the fly. Hmm. And that was another way that I had to get rid of notes because it was a, it was a a real burden to find and maintain them all the time. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Now rumors are the thing that I did with, to go back to the Dyson's, uh, Delve, where after having done that faction analysis, I was then able to generate rumors about some of those faction relationships. Um, actually, if you recall, if you go back to uh, that that early stream, the Dyson's Delve stream here on our channel, uh, you'll see, I think what I ended up doing is printing them on cards. Right, So I had little decks of cards of rumors, and uh, yes. I had two sets where like, like rumors you could learn at the tavern, and then like the, the rantings of the uh, of the insane elementalist Prisoner. who was prisoner yeah. in the in the yeah so you could go and and uh uh listen in on his rants and uh yeah um uh, the nice thing about that was um i think it was it was the one of my favorite things about that effect and and unfortunately in this day and age you don't get it because we're all digital was that then the players had it right they like paid for a rumor and they took it and then they had it in front of them and then they would refer to it and i think you'll see that in that stream of players like digging through oh wait wait i had a rumor about that let me <laughs> you know to actually have it written in front of them was really nice you're right you're right and, and, and now one thing I'm seeing, so now that we're, we're chatting a little bit about rumors you're going to see there, so William um, just said, um, sorry, not Desperal there, um, said, uh, whenever I've tried rumors, the PCs ending, end up chasing one of them hard and forgetting the rest entirely. I have, that is, that is addressed, thank you for that, that I, I addressed exactly that on the Patrons Pick blog tomorrow because I, I totally agree and that exactly happened for me. And the th- here's the thing. Initially, I was using a list of, you know, rumor adventure ideas that I got online mm-hmm. that wasn't tied into the campaign. Right? Yeah. So it was a bunch of weird things. I didn't own it. The campaign didn't own it. And it was a bunch of weird things that was really more enticing or, you know, sufficiently grandiose or sufficiently just weird that it became more enticing. And I didn't have anything to back it up with, frankly. Yeah. And I didn't do a really great job of improvising. So now what I recommend is I'm, make, I'm making rumors 
improvisationally, but it always refers to some existing location in the campaign. Yeah. yeah. So a mega dungeon, a city, a wilderness encounter, it's always, could be true, could be false, I feel like but in some way it's always tied into a place yeah. that actually is developed in the campaign, and that's worked a lot better for me. I think we, I th- we I'm sure we must have done a show on rumors, right? Did we do a show on rumors? Because I seem to recall talking it, about this and, and like saying like one an interesting idea here is to just randomly roll on one of the locations of your of your adventure and flip to it and like build a rumor out of that location. <clears throat> Is floor. that where I got that idea? <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know. I thought it's I a... came up with. I thought I right, came maybe up with you that did myself. And said it on that show. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's okay. Great. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Well, we totally we did. did a rumor show. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. Okay. We are losing our minds here on wandering. Well, yeah, thank, you the, uh, thank you for the. Thank you for the. Thank you for the scuttlebutt about the fact that we've done that before. Yeah. Okay. Let me go back to something you. else that I'm seeing in the chat here, which is there's some discussion about. Um, <laughs> Note taking and specifically note taking with the purpose of doing recaps and trying to offload that onto the players. And I'm a big fan right. of that. And I tried to do that once very intentionally where I actually bought a blank journal and I put it on the table and I said, this is the campaign journal. And each, each session, someone's going to take some notes, just, just a couple handful, five bullets of what happened during that session, just like I'm doing right now with 10 dead rats. And then be responsible the next session for reading them out and, you know, basically recapping what happened previously. And whoever volunteers to do that from session to session will get some bonus XP. Right. And my hope was that the players would fight over it, right? And 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 that you would this this weird journal would just get passed hand to hand, and you would get you know people reading out stuff, and you would build this amazing you know uh, artifact of play at the end of this crazy journal that's been handed around, written from person to person. One of the problems I had with it. And you'll recognize this, Dan, from the campaign that we played where we had rotating DMs, is that some of the players got too into it and like very much wrote still a lot of text in the journal from right. their character's perspective, which was very <laughs> skewed, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> so they would then they would read it off at the beginning of the next session, and I'd be like, uh, it's it's just so full of misinformation that I, I don't know how useful this is. <laughs> <laughs> They just got so much wrong because they were just so in their character and just writing their character's perspective of this of of what had happened. Um, so I don't know. I would still think that would be a very clever thing to do. Um, I think again, it's a thing you could probably only do when when you're actually physically at the table with each other. Um, but I like the idea. I like the idea of offloading it to the players and making them do it, and even then tying a reward like XP to it. I think is great. Right. Right. You know, it's funny because uh, Max, who obviously stars in 10 Dead Rats, um, I'm in his uh, game every other Friday. And um, he it's a game of Quest at the moment. Um, and he starts off and maybe this is something you've seen in other other sessions, but he starts off asking for a player to give a recap. And none of us want to do it. And he randomly picks someone and then uh, they have to recap what happened last session. And then they get, you know, they get a an adventure point is, is what's okay. happening in that system as a matter okay. of fact. Okay. Um, and that's always, it's, it's always funny. It's, it's always funny. If like the, it's, it's like, you don't want to be picked on in class a little bit. <laughs> and some people actually take better notes than others. So they can, um, they can succeed at that task. Mm-hmm, a bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, the funny thing is with my, you know, with my prior campaign, I found that in some ways the, the, the players actually took better notes than I did. And by that, I mean shorter and more to the point. Yeah. And so I was writing like a 20-paragraph treatise. And then, frankly, if Max would do it, it would be three sentences long. And it would be get to the point, And it would be much funnier than anything I came up with. And I was, I was like, oh, geez, Max's, synopsis, Max's one-paragraph synopsis is much better than what I'm coming up with. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Uh, here, I'll pull back the, the, the shroud a little bit more about 10 Dead Rats, because here's an interesting fact that I'm sure nobody knows about. Um, there is a secret hidden Discord channel on our Discord for members of the 10 Dead Rats cast only, uh, which is just called Session Notes. And every now and then, one of them will type something in there. And it's hilarious because it's just really very sketchy notes that they're typing on the fly as we're playing just to remember, oh, remember this person's name or remember that, you know, I have this much money on me or this is what's on our boat or whatever. Uh, But it's super useful. It's so nice to have this like rolling, uh, you know, I reference it now all the time. I'm always looking at it like, okay, what do the players know? Um, 
So it's it's kind of funny. Um, that might be a useful <laughs> thing for folks running digitally online these days. Of like, yeah, yeah. Have just whatever chat yeah. you're using, have a have a separate channel for notes that players can just drop information into. Um, it's really really yeah. actually quite nice. Yeah, I, and, and it's very distributed. It's, really, it does look like it's the same kind of stuff you would write in a notebook, right? So that you come back to it and be like, "What? Why did I write these random three words? What does this mean?" Yeah, is, it, is that happening while the show is actually live? It's happening while the that? show is live. Okay. They're, they're okay. dropping things Great. into that channel Great. as the, as we're actually <laughs> playing, which is pretty hilarious. So maybe maybe if and when Ten Dead Rats uh, uh, ends, we'll uh, like archive and and display that that weird that's note, awesome. note channel that's or something because awesome. it's it's pretty funny. I get this. There's a lot of notes that I have like on the fly. My adrenaline's up. I don't have much time. You know, and I'm also left-handed, so my handwriting's not great. And later on, it's like, it's questionable whether I can read it. And it's questionable, like, what on earth was I thinking? I have no idea what that's referencing. I have yeah. no idea no. what what I was talking about right then. Um, so sometimes yeah. that's really fun. Notes, notes mid-session are definitely radically different from notes yeah. made ahead of time to prepare, <laughs> for sure. I, okay, I can tell you this ridiculous anecdote. <laughs> I, I had this English professor in college who notoriously every like every class he would stand there and lecture to the class and it was a small class less than 20 people and he's standing in front of a blackboard and at some point during the class he would turn around and write one word on the blackboard of something he had just said and it was usually totally irrelevant and it was like <laughs> why did he choose that word why did he think that word was important but oh, and he'd scroll it up there effervescent good like what what is that Am I, should I write that down? I'm going to write down that word, right? So my notes from that class usually have, like, the word that he wrote down that day. You know, I, um, so, again, you know, as, as someone who uh, who teaches math, I mean, you know, it's a written, you know, it, it is yeah. fundamentally a written language. It's, you know, trying to talk about it is sort of beside the point a little bit, in my view. And so I have to do, you know, if I don't have lecture slides prepared, I have to do a lot of writing. And I have other, you know, non-math instructors come into the room and go, oh, my God, I can't look at all the stuff you've written there. And I'm like, well, that's like the fourth run through the blackboard today. And I walk into other classes and they've got like there's one there's, there's one particular class that runs over one of my computer classes where there's a list of five cities. There's a list of five mm -hmm. cities on the board, <clears throat> global cities. And it's like Paris. Berlin, Moscow, something more exotic than that. Yeah, I'm not coming, yeah. that I'm not coming up with right now. Right. And it's that's it. That's it. It's just four, <laughs> it's the same list every day. It is the same list every day all semester long. And like like maybe hmm. like maybe it gets up to six. Hmm. And I'm like I'm like all semester long. I'm like, is the goal of this class to just remember seven <laughs> cities? Is that the entire course for a semester? <laughs> What is and every day I come in into the same list of cities that just slowly grows over the semester. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. So so there there is a big uh, there are, there are big differences in different cultures. Uh, uh, what counts as good note taking? Yeah, I guess yeah, for sure, for sure. Bizarre, you know. So before we wrap up, yeah. so I should ask this, you know. So you know, we started off talking about notes being made in advance. And uh, frankly, a couple of things that we didn't we didn't get to. So, like another, a couple of things that I've done, like for the D series, is again I'm adding stuff. I'm making um, uh, I have like tactical notes. Like for a couple of things in the D series, like I made up one one page like tactical notes, adding stuff to the sessions. Mm -hmm. So whether you have um, you know old school stuff that's skeletal and you're adding or it's newer stuff that's very verbose that you're boiling down um it's, you start to have a question of like was the adventure designed like if you find yourself having to take a lot of notes does that maybe argue that the the format of the adventure could have been improved hmm. do you do you feel i mean can you can you foresee with the thing that you're running right now for 10 Dead Rats, can you, could you foresee a better way of having organized the book that you wouldn't have had to do that? Or is I that just I mean, the interesting thing about this adventure? book, I think the interesting thing about yeah. this book is that it has both, right? It has the dense text, and then it has as supplementary material the, the shorthand notes in a variety of ways, all of which are very useful. But the problem is okay. that it's just such complex information that you couldn't just grab up the book and run it. Like, you, you have to digest this stuff um, you know, notes are, I think, 
so it's it's like this material has has done the effort for making the in-game notes for me, but I think in-game notes like that are only useful because they're reminding you of stuff that you've already read in and processed in long form. Okay. And if you haven't done that, if you haven't actually read the material, you're in trouble. Um, okay. And to which end, I think it is still useful for to take your own notes, even regardless of whether they're going to be um, for a page that you're going to keep on you to have in, on hand during play, or if it's just a part of your reading process, I find that that the process of actually like thinking about what you're reading and writing down a couple of notes helps you kind of internalize and 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 remember that information. Or at least it does I can agree with that. And and as someone who's you know visual and I guess spatial, like actually having my hand make the marks on a page causes it to be part of my memory system better actually um and so i'll I'll ask the same question you asked me so do you want if if they're if they're mostly a learning uh, tool do you actually use your notes in the game or is that not part of it depends it depends (laughs) um i think i often do have them on hand um just as a quick index right to to look up to remember Uh, i'll just quickly show let's see here's um here, here's my notes from the NPCs in a Cthulhu game called uh, Bryson Springs. And the problem was, having read through it, I was like, there's, there, even though there was, there was, somebody had drawn a chart, I think there was a chart in the material of like the relationships between these characters, I still like, I needed super light quick bullets so that when a player was talking to a specific character, if they're going to go talk to the police officer, I want to know the quick five bullets of what he knows or what he's after and, you know, what's what's the what's the important information that I need on hand. And that information was just not readily and easily identifiable in the original text. So this page was absolutely a thing I had on me. So that as the players talked to somebody, I could go, okay, they're talking to Annabelle. Boom, here's here's the information by, about her. Okay. Uh, would you have on preferred the other if hand, that had been an, an added I, thing in the text? Should the text have added that maybe, itself? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, so by comparison, the power behind the throne, I totally have, you know, the printouts of the, the little cards and the charts and whatnot, and I'm going to have those on hand. My own notes? Will I have my own notes on hand? Probably not. I think at that point, okay. my own notes were really just for me to digest the information so that I okay. had it. Interesting. Yeah. Super interesting. So, yeah, depends. Depends. Yeah. yeah, and that's honestly uh, what you're getting at. What you're picking at is actually something that I think about a lot for my own adventure writing. Right? Is what's the most useful thing to present the the, the reader with? And do you want the like full form long text so they get a lot of information and they and they and they can you know really understand what you're getting at and what what your design ideas were? Is it better to have something very short and quick reference to be a, a play aid at the table? Do you want to include both? Uh, I'm, I, honestly, it's something I struggle with. I think as a, as an author of like yeah. what 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 do I want to present to to the to the DM who's going to run this for you know for a group of players. Right. It's funny for me, you know, I, at least for for the material that I use, like I, I like it to be pretty darn short. I like it to be pretty darn sketchy. I like it to be something that you can improvise off a little bit. And I actually have gotten to the point I don't like having the material in multiple places. Yeah. Um, as I, as I mentioned before, that's and I and I, I tried to do that kind of thing in the past. Found it was more trouble than it's worth. And I'd like to have things in just one place. And um, the more the more you start to put it in multiple places, again, the standard problem is someday. Oh, I'm going to change this character. Now he's she's not their sister. She's you know their long lost cousin. And you change it in one place, and you forget to edit in the other yeah. place. Yeah is, of course, a standard problem. So um, a lot of reasons I like to have short and not have it sh- shown in multiple multiple locations. I would, I mean, I don't mind having multiple locations as long as the assumption is you're not going to have those multiple locations on hand while running the game, right? Okay. Like, I would almost right. argue okay. for, okay. Uh, like, to okay. make a board game comparison, like, there's several yeah. board games I own that come with, like, the, the thick dictionary-like rules of here's all the rules for running the game, and then, like, a tutorial that's just, like couple of quick pages of like take this thing out and you know just do this don't worry okay. don't worry about how these rules work like just do this thing right and it kind of step by step works you through the game um whereas the latter is like i want that on hand when i'm running through it and do i need this giant reference material no it's reference it's it's for 
digging deep. I don't later. think I've seen that. Like Nate, give me an example of a game that has that. Um, Space Alert does that. Oh, okay. Yeah, All yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. I feel like it's it's probably a more modern idea. I mean, I'm trying I'm trying to think of other board games, and I know that I've seen it in other places where like. You know, there's the big heavy rule book, and then there's the gotcha. don't don't worry about all the rules. We're just going to walk you through some play here. Wacky. Yeah, which I rather I rather like. But I mean, I can think of I mean, there's outdoor survival that has a, a very small pamphlet of game rules, mm-hmm. and then a significantly larger pamphlet for when you actually do this in the real world. <laughs> when you actually do this in the real world, when you're actually yeah. out in the woods, which yes. has nothing to do with 100%, the board game. Yes. Don't bring the board no. with you. There's it's a 30 out. page book about how to actually really survive in the wilderness when you're lost. It's not a game whatsoever. It's Brilliant. actual learn how to do this in when you're camping. Excellent. Well, that is not a thing I would think to include in my RPG material. Here's how yeah, to kill yeah. an actual vampire. <laughs> all right all right we are about out of time here dan do you have any final thoughts on note taking in terms of uh prep or play aids or mid-game play i love these conversations because it it opens my mind to other possibilities i hadn't thought i i was really stunned uh i was really surprised earlier this morning when you told me uh before the show that you you were you were unaccustomed to taking a lot of notes Hmm. Um, and I, I found that I've always had to do with it, that with pre-published modules, and I've attempted to reduce it over time. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm always always doing that. You know, I see people. You know, I see people on Twitter on the formatting issue. You know, you know, maybe they're being inventive and they're trying to find new formats, but they're also trying to find the one true format. Mm-hmm. And I find that that feels to me like it's going in a direction of rigidity, and that. You know, in the creative endeavor that we have, you're you're going to wind up painting yourself in a corner someday, and having structure really fighting what you're trying to do, which is ultimately a fairly improvisational art form at the table. So, um, it's 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 interesting to hear the the different things. I like it to be short, and I I don't think that coming up with more structure than that is is really super helpful. Hmm. Okay. Well, folks, if you have thoughts on what kind of notes you like to have on hand or like to take as in preparation for uh, material, please uh, leave us some comments below. Uh, if you have questions you want to see us pose to Tim Cask, who we'll hopefully uh, reschedule to be on the show in a future date, uh, feel free to leave those as well. We're very much hoping to uh, to, to reschedule him. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, let us know, and uh, um, hopefully we'll uh, we'll see him on the show. Agreed. This has just wet my appetite even more to talk to Tim, and uh, I had I had a whole bunch of questions. We had questions coming in from uh, Twitter and Facebook and a bunch of other forums and stuff like that that we actually did you know prepare. So uh, I hopefully we'll have Tim on and get to get him get his responses on that. Um, and of course, remember if you are new to the show, possibly um, you can like, follow, and subscribe to us on YouTube and Twitter and Twitch and Facebook and GitHub. And we do have Wandering DMs as the handle on all those sites. And then you'll get updates, and we'll tell you when we do have uh, Tim Cask on, hopefully in, in a couple weeks. Excellent. Uh, if you prefer to listen to these shows as audio-only podcasts, you can do so. They're available on our website at wanderingdms.com. You can also find them through various podcast carriers, such as iTunes and Google Podcasts and Spotify. If you are listening to us on one of those other carriers, uh, please take a moment to rate and review our show on that site. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. We really do. And, uh, of course, look for uh, other upcoming shows this week. Uh, Paul should have another 10 Dead Rats on Thursday. Uh, uh, the Book of War show is going to a bi-weekly format, so it'll be another Saturday before we're back, but hopefully we'll be back very soon. Uh, of course, have to give a big thanks to our patrons who support the Winering DMs in all that we do. Uh, so generous, and if you're in a position where you would like to um, join our patrons in supporting the show, please do go to patreon.com slash wanderingdms. Uh, a couple different tier levels, a whole bunch of benefits, mm-hmm. such as a private Discord server where you can uh, chat with other viewers and us and cast members of 10 Dead Rats and things like that. Uh, monthly behind-the-scenes videos that we try to release uh, at least one a month. Polls and surveys on upcoming topics of things for our various shows or even our blogs that we write, like mine that's going to be on my blog, Delta's D&D Tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Uh, discounts on merch and 
after party chat after every show sunday we get online with our viewers on the discord and we have a live video chat and in fact i have a we we, we brought up the rumors issue in the conversation today and i had another couple of thoughts that i'll probably just add um in the after party chat that i don't think really fit here awesome. but i'll be i have some other stuff we're going to have there so we'll be there in about five minutes or so and we'll look forward to that today as a matter of fact yeah I'll, I'll also point out that uh, also available to patrons only uh, for anyone who's listening earlier as we were discussing uh, all of the notes and whatnot that exist around the Dyson's Delve game that we streamed a long time ago. Uh, Dan, you and I did a series of videos where we analyzed and dissected all of those sessions and talked in detail about what was going on. And those are available as well to patrons only on the Patreon site. Good good point. It's sort of a director's track of yeah. wandering DMs plays Dyson Zell. That's a really good point. I I almost got it all <laughs> I I practiced I practiced the list and I really thought that I had it all, but you're right. The the behind the scenes wandering DMs plays Dyson Dell. I that's I should mention that as well. Great point. Thanks for the reminder, Paul. You're you I just enjoy <laughs> you're just so sharp and I just enjoy chatting with you. And uh, I would I would do that even if we didn't actually have a show. So this is a great bunch of thoughts here today. Um, so uh, again, uh, apologies for uh, Mr. Cast not being able to with, be with us. We'll try to reschedule him as soon as we can. Don't forget, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So we do hope that you'll come back and join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.